so many of you here uh, this morning. And uh, uh, for those who are listening online, um, we are glad that you're taking some time uh, with us. So we welcome you as well. And uh, if you've been if you've been here the last little while, you'll know that we are uh, in a series talking about money. If this is your first week here, uh, we're kind of coming to the end of our series on this uh, topic of money. And uh, just again, a disclaimer as always, there's no extra offerings being taken up, so you can just relax and just uh, listen and take, uh, take in what we're talking about this morning. Maybe there's something in there uh, today for you that will be literally life-changing. And so I don't have a lot of time to cover all the stuff that we, uh, that we went over in the first few weeks. But just a quick recap, in week one, we just basically said that money, can, money has the ability to own you. We can own stuff, but stuff can own you. And when it gets uh, flipped around that way, it just causes all kinds of havoc and breakdown uh, in our lives. In week two, Larry was here, and he talked about how you can trust God with your money, you know, your money. If you trust him with your life and you trust him with your eternal destiny, What's money? You can trust him. He's a good, good father. Week three and four, we talked about the, the idea of being um, a manager rather than an owner. Like, none of it's ours. All the stuff that we think we have, none of it, we don't take any of it with us when we leave. We just get to, we get to use it while we're here and manage it while we're here. And so we challenge you with two thoughts. The first week was, you got to be knowing where your money's going. And for those of you who didn't know, we're saying, track it. Go find out where it's going. Last night I had a guy, he came with his tracking. She's like, man, you picked a great week for me to start tracking. He starts showing me, he's like, here's my income. And he says, and then I got to do a transmission. I had to do a steering column. And he's like... His, like, his was so out of balance. I'm like, just track for another couple of weeks. And, you know, hopefully it's going like, to balance itself out. But as he was learning different things about where money was going. And then he had on there yard sales. And he's like, yeah, I probably didn't need that you know, later on once I found out that I had to do a transmission. But he found out where his money was going. We challenged you to do the same. In week four, we challenged you as a manager not just find out where it's going. Tell it where to go. Tell money where to go. Be intentional about I'm managing this for him. So we gave you a suggestion for a plan. Instead of spend, 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 and then save a little if there's any left, and then maybe give, uh, and if we have to, we'll give using Visa and add more debt to our lives. We challenge you to flip the script and to give first, then to save and to live on the rest. Uh, we gave you a plan called the 10-10-80 plan because it's simple to remember. Give away 10%, save 10%, spend and live on the other 80%, not like most Canadians who live on 169% and then wonder why, they have, why it doesn't work. Those numbers are just a suggestion. I'd encourage you, you know, for, it's not the same across the board for everyone, but I'd find out and become intentional about that. Uh, it, was, it was pretty interesting. Last week we had a, a family show up a little bit late, which typically happens at Kingsley, but they were, they were so late that their child didn't want to go into kids' church because it had already started and they felt like embarrassed to go in. So they decided to sit up here, 10 years old. At the end of the service, she says, and her mom tells me later, she says to her mom, she's like, Mom, how come you've never told me about the jars? Do you want me to become like financially like uh, bankrupt someday? How come you haven't taught me this stuff? And so if you, and I was like, that's awesome. You know, I love it. So the 10 year old is like, yes, I want to start doing this the right way. If you don't know what the jars are, check out last week's uh, message online. You can find out. And then, uh, you know, people have been texting me this week just saying, hey, you know, some were asking, where can we go uh, to take our kids? You know, we have four kids, you have four kids. Where can we go uh, where it's, where it's uh, like a, a cheaper zoo to go to? Because we want to be able to give first. We don't want to spend all our money on this stuff. We want to do it the right way. Way I'm like I'm just proud of you guys that you're that you're living out your faith and so today today we have uh, the second last one uh, this one's actually a little bit difficult of a message for me to share 
And it's not because I think that you guys don't want to hear it. It's more because I didn't want to hear it. Uh, it's one of those things as I've gone through this series on money, it wasn't really just talking to you, but I'm learning how much of this that, that I still have to learn. I'm realizing as I share some of these things, there's things that happen in my life throughout the week that I realize, man, I am just not there yet. I'm not, I, and this one I knew about because today I want to share a message that, that I heard Andy Stanley share months ago. And I thought, man, this is so connecting for me. It's so connecting for our church. I know that I want to share these thoughts. And I was like, Lord, help me to have like achieved it by then. You know, I can just tell them. And I'm here today to say, I'm just not there yet. I need this probably more than anybody this morning. And so I'm just going to preach to me. Uh, and if you can get something out of this, then that's going to be, um, that'll be great. The message uh, that Andy shared was called See the World. And you can find it if you want. You can go online. You can find that message. Uh, it's part two of that series. It's called uh, See the World. I encourage you to listen to it. it. It's incredibly challenging. And so some of the thoughts that I want to share with you today come from there. And so we're going to jump right in. Um, have, you ever, have you ever had a moment in your life where all of a sudden you saw things differently? Like you saw them one way and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, yeah, I, I never saw it that way, but it makes sense. You know, maybe you have like, you get, you get in that argument or that disagreement with your spouse, uh, you know, at the end of the day. And, and then you're like, you know, she says mean things and she's like, what's wrong with her? Like, you, what happened to her today? And you're, and, you, and you're like, you know, thinking, man, woman, like you, you know, I mean, we don't refer to each other as that. We're like, you know, man, whatever, wife, you know, how can you be, how can you treat me like that? And then, and then you watch your own kids for all four of them for a whole day straight or maybe two. And then afterwards you're like, okay, now I know why you like want to, you know, rip the, your hair out and mine too. Like, I, I get it now. Your eyes are open to see things differently. You know, I remember Wes telling a story. I'm pretty sure it was him. He uh, was telling a story that, that he had lost a document on his desk. I think it was like a, a, somebody's marriage license or something. It was really, really important. And so he starts looking everywhere, can't find it. He's blaming his kids because he's like, who was in my office? You know, he's going through all the drawers, can't find it. And finally, at the end, he's just, he's just beside himself. And so he goes in his office for one last look, can't find him. He just falls to his knees. He begins praying, God, please help me. I gotta find this. And at the end of his prayer, he looks up and just underneath of his desk, in behind the where the drawers are connected to the desk, there was this piece of paper that had slipped off and somehow become lodged in there. And the only way he would have seen it was because he was on his knees and he, his perspective had changed. Nothing else had changed. The paper was there the whole time. What changed? His perspective. Remind me of the story of a guy traveling on a train. I've shared it here before, but he's traveling on a, on a train and his kids are wild and they're just all over the train car and, and the people are sitting in the train car watching these, these unruly children and they're looking at the dad like, come on, are you going to do something about your kids? Like, they're climbing the chairs, they're, they're jumping over people, they, they're just like, they're a train wreck and, and uh, he's, he's, he's just sort of oblivious. And so the rest of the people sitting on the train look at one another and they got those like, you know, they don't say nothing, but their eyes tell the story like, Hey, come on, who is this, like, this dad? Like, this is crazy. Every, everyone else knows, you know, that his kids are being just an absolute craziness. And so one of them finally says to the dad, you know, hey, sir, excuse me. Like, have you noticed your kids are, like, causing all kinds of commotion? Like, they're, they're all, like, crawling all over stuff. Can you do something about your children? And it's all of a sudden like he snaps out of a daze. He says, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm, so, I'm sorry. We're just on our way home from the hospital where we lost my wife and their mother. And all of a sudden, everything in the train car changes. 
nothing had changed. The kids are still unruly, but all of a sudden the people are like, oh, we're so sorry, and they offer compassion. Like, is there anything we can do to help? Hey, maybe we can help entertain your kids while they're sitting on the train car. What changed? Nothing in the situation changed except their perspective. And so they saw things differently. And I want to challenge you that some, for some of us, we need to see things differently. Stephen Covey wrote some incredible books, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Leaders. He wrote this uh, and said this quote. He says, we see the world not as it is, but as we are. We see the world not as it really is, but as we are, or as we are conditioned to see it. What does that mean? We've grown up, and, and as we've grown up, we've learned to see things the way our parents have taught us, the way our peers see things, the way our culture sees things. And sometimes that view can actually be hindering to us. The way we've learned to see something actually is hindering to us, but we don't know any different. You know, it's like that elephant, we've shared this before, where the elephant sees that little chain around his leg and sees the chain as stronger than he. But we know that's not true. He's limited by a chain that shouldn't be limiting him at all. And one of the main themes in the New Testament, as you read through the, the letters from Paul and Peter and even the teachings of Jesus, there's this thought of wanting us to renew our mind, to change the way we think. The, the word repent that actually doesn't mean like, oh, you know, tearfully say, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I'll try not to do it again. And then you do it again and come back again. That's not what repent means. Re repent means change the way you think about things. And he wants us to change the way we think about a lot of things. And so throughout the New Testament, it's this idea of how do we see things the way God sees things? Help me see things the way he sees things. Because if I can see the way God sees things, then when he asks me to do something, it's not going to seem all that weird because I understand why he sees things the way that he sees things. And he sees things differently than we do. But it's kind of like parents, you know. As parents, when, you have, when your kids are doing something they shouldn't, you tell them, hey, stop doing that. And then they ask that question, why? And you respond with, because I said so. Yes, you all went to the same parenting school as me, right? And for those of you who are going to be parents, that's it, right? Because I said so. Um, we experienced this this week, the, uh, my, my kids, we were at my in-law's place, and um, we were just hanging out, and the kids, they were with their cousins, the, and, and some of their cousins are a bad influence on them, namely, they're like the youngest one, like Adrian, so he, uh, he's out with Max and Finn, of course, and, and they're out in the garage, and one of the kids runs in and says, Dad, Dad, the, ki the kids are cleaning the, they're, they're cleaning the gator, their little gator uh, thing, they're cleaning the gator with something they found in Paca's spray cans, and we're like, Oh, boy. So we run out there, and it's just it's, it's, it's like um, lubricating diesel fuel thing, whatever. It's this white, sticky gunk. And so they had sprayed it all over the thing, and, and they're like, hey, we're cleaning it, Dad. And we're like, that's not cleaning. I'm like, you know, you're not supposed to go into the spray cans. And they're like, why? I'm like, just because I said so, right? And we take the can away. I'm like, oh, I'm going to clean this. And water and soap, this stuff is it's still on there. It is that, just whatever. Well, we went back in the house, and we like, you know, don't play things as the spray cans, because we said so, and we're sitting in the house, and then, you know, as we're chatting, we're like, oh, thank goodness it wasn't like the big, big barrel of, like, um, weed spray. You know, I'm thankful they didn't get into that. Well, then a few minutes later, doesn't one of the kids come in and say, Dad, Dad, they're uh, cleaning off the other stuff with this other thing. They found this big yellow spray bottle. We're all looking at each other like, no, we run out there, and there's one of them with the wand spraying down the other thing. We're like, ah, and I grab the kids, and I sit them down. I'm like, Listen, what did we just tell you? 
I know, Dad, we're not spraying with that one anymore. I'm like, I know, but this is a sickness. This is worse. And, and so I begin to explain to them how poison. I'm like, you see these weeds? You see how dead they are? That's what happens when you spray this on things like people. And all of a sudden, the tears start running down their face. And they be like, we're going to die. You know, <laughs> you're not going to die. They've never washed their hands so well as in that moment. But after that, what happened? They, they didn't just say, do, do as Dad said. They saw what dad saw. They never understood that yellow thing was poison, but now they saw that it was poison. They're like, we'll never do that again. And I believe them this time that they will never do that again. Why? Because they saw it the way I saw it. And we all have a heavenly parent, a heavenly father who says, I want you to see it the way I see it. Because if you would see what I see, you'll understand why I say things and why I want you to do or not do. For instance, if we would see if we would see things like, like um, sex the way God sees it. And he says, hey, do you know, just wait till you're married before you have sex. And we're like, that's not cool and that's not fun. You know, you're just like a cosmic killjoy. I just want to do what I want. And we, he's like, no, no actually, you, you don't really know that what you think you want is later on down the road. It may not be. And I'm pretty sure it's not, you're not gonna, it's not going to be what you want. You're going to have all these trust issues and mistrust issues you never would have had before. You're going to have all these awkward conversations with your spouse someday that you never would have had to have before. There's all these things. He's like, would you just see it the way I see it? Would you see marriage the way I see marriage? That marriage is meant to be not one person dominating the other, but this race of mutual submission. That it's not like, wives, submit to your husband because it's in the Bible. It's like, submit to one another out of reverence to the Lord. That I, if you're getting married, learn this quick. That, that thought of saying, be the one to say, hey, hon, what do you want to do? Oh, no, oh, no, what do you want to do? No, I asked you first. Oh, man, well, okay, but next time you get to decide. Okay, well, next time, but this time you get to decide. Hey, how about you go first? Hey, how about we do what you want to do? Can you imagine what that would be like? You're thinking, that suck, you know? I'm never going to get it because nothing's going to go my way. But what if you were married to someone who was always out for your good and for your best interest, and they know that you're always out for their good and for their best interest? Doesn't it make sense that marriage would work that way? He says, I just want you to see it the way I see it. And so Jesus, um, he often, well, he like Scott said, he's actually the best, the best representative of, of how we know what God thinks about things, what God says about things. Jesus said he often claimed that he was one with God and got him on all kinds of trouble. He said things like this, John 14, 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said things like this in John 10, 30, I and the Father, we're one. In Colossians 1, Paul wrote to them and said, the Son, he's the image of the invisible God. Do you want to know what God looks like? Look at the Son. In John 12, John writes that Jesus said, I only speak what I hear the Father saying. You want to know what God says about things? Listen to what Jesus said about things. I challenge you to read through the Gospels and just ask yourself, what can I learn about the Father from the Son? You'll be amazed at what you learn about God just by reading about Jesus. Well, Jesus, he came and he told these stories. And today we're going to learn something about what God thinks about uh, uh, things in our life. As he was, um, you can turn to Luke chapter 16. Uh, if you're on your way there, you can find it in your um, Version Bible app. I encourage you to go there. It's a, it's a story you probably have not heard before. Uh, I know it's one that's not, I, I've, I've read it many times, so I've never spoken about it before. But it's a, it, Jesus is talking to this group of people. In Luke chapter 15, it starts. All these people are hanging out, and he looks at the crowd, and he realizes, hmm, we've got a whole bunch of different types of people here today. we got some tax collectors. And then we got, like, sinners who are not quite as bad as the tax collectors. And then we've got, you know, we've got these, we've got women and children. And we've got, 
We got some religious people hanging around the perimeter. And so he begins to tell them these stories. He tells them three really famous stories. He tells them the story about this sheep that got lost. Maybe you've heard it. You know, there was 99 or 100 sheep and one got lost and he went to find it. And then he tells a story about this, this coin that got lost and a woman sweeps her whole house looking for this little coin and then she throws a party when she finds it. And then he tells a story about this son who's like, Dad, I wish you were dead because I, I want my inheritance now. And then he goes and wastes it on prostitutes and he comes home and, and the dad just wraps his arms around him and loves him and they're like, that's it. You know, the, the, the Pharisees and the, the religious people at the back, they're like, man, how... He's telling the story about us. Like, we're the bad guys in the story. We, we've had enough of your stories. It always ends up, every time you tell a story, we look bad in front of these crowds. And so they begin to wander off. And then it says this in Luke chapter 16. And I love this thought because Jesus begins to tell them. He's got more to tell them. He was just telling them there, hey, this is what God thinks about sinners. He has one more thing he really wants them to know. This is what God thinks about another topic. But instead of saying, hey, hey, I want to tell you what God thinks about money, he doesn't. He just starts telling the story. And it says this. He tells it to his disciples. So the disciples are like still hanging around. The Pharisees, they're ready to leave. And Jesus, loud enough so they can hear it, says, he says this. He says, there was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. And one day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. And as they're wandering away, they hear the sound, a manager wasting his employees. Wait a second. Hey, that's us, you know. These guys were rich, these Pharisees. They were rich, rich people. And they're like, wait a second. He's going to tell us about a manager who was wasting people's money. Well, that's what we experienced. You know, we all, all of them would have had slave managers who were managing their money. They weren't sure if all the money was being used the right way. And all of a sudden their ears prick up. Maybe he's going to tell us something we can actually use for the first time. So they, they, they stay around, they listen. And he says, um, he says, he begins to tell them, you know, this is what God thinks about money. But we have to ask ourselves that question. Do you really want to know what God thinks about money? Do you really want to know what that perspective, uh, his perspective is on it? Because it's one of those things that's like the, the moment where Wes sees the paper. It's like the moment those people on the train, it's, it's this moment where you're like, wow, now I understand why we have money and what it's for. I can never go back to not knowing what that was. Do you really want to know? I'll take that as a yes. So the employer in verse 2 says this. So the employer called this man, this untrustworthy manager, and he said, what's this I hear about you? You know what? Get your reports in order because you're going to be fired. And the manager thought to himself, now what? And just remember those words, now what? What am I going to do now? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm way too proud to beg. He says, but then he says, ah, I know. I know how. And I just put in there what to do now. I know what I'm going to do now. I know what I'm going to do now to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. He says, I know I've got a little bit of time. I've got a little bit of opportunity to secure my future. I have a little bit of time to do something. And he says, I know what I can do now that's going to help me later. And so in verse 5, it says, he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. So he asked the first one. He says, hey, how much do you owe him? And the first person says, ah, I owe him 800 gallons of oil. Because they dealt in real stuff back then. He's like, 800 gallons of oil. He's like, okay, quickly. Quickly change the bill. Write 400 instead. And the guy's like, seriously? You could get fired for doing this, you know? He's like, don't worry about it. I got that covered. You just quickly write 400. The guy's like, oh, okay, but only because you said so. And he's like, just do it. He's like, okay, 400. I only owe 400. It'd be like you. Your visa bill is 13,000. And, and all of a sudden, visa calls you and says, hey, 
hey, you know, I just want to tell you, I'm going to just, just scrape that out and write, you know, 6,500. And you're like, what? No, no, real, for real. You don't, you don't know the rest. What would you do? He'd be like, sweet. Some of you'd be like, I'd spend it again, right? But so you're like, He'd be like, thank you, man. Like, you can imagine this guy saying, thank you so much. You know, if there's anything that I can ever do for you, you know, let me know. And, and, and he's probably thinking to himself, oh, don't you worry. I, I'll let you know, and it's going to be sooner than you think. You know, he says to him, I'll let you know. And so he changes it, and then the next guy comes in, and he says, hey, how much do you, in verse 7, how much do you owe my employer? And he asked the next man. He says, well, I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. And here the manager's like, hey, quickly, take the bill. Change it to 800 measures. He's like, really? Sweet, you know, thank you. If there's anything I can do for you, yeah, yeah, n- never mind. Get the next guy in here. And it says he does enough of this. And the, crowd, the crowd's listening, and they're thinking, what's going to happen to this guy? Because they know how the story should end, but all the stories they just heard didn't end the way they thought they would. And so they're listening, they're like, Okay, what's he going to do with this guy? Because this guy, this evil, untrustworthy thief, he should be thrown into prison. But none of Jesus' stories go that way. You know the story of the lost sheep and the lost son? It just didn't happen. What's he going to do? So Jesus continued with the story. Maybe you haven't heard this one either, but it's interesting because it goes with this. In verse 8, he says, The rich man, the owner, he comes and it says this, He had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. Rascal. I wanted to highlight that just because... That's a great word. But he says, you know, he, he had to admire the dishonest rascal, not for being dishonest, but because he was so shrewd. And that word shrewd means he was wise. He was um, prudent with the money. And the crowd's sitting there like dumbfounded because that's not what they expected. And it's probably not what you expected either. You know, it's, it's, it's this, this thought. He says, the master, you just picture it. Here the, here the, bat, the, 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 the mismanager comes in and <laughs> after he's about to be fired, he's like, okay, so you got all your stuff in order. And, and, the, and the, the rich guy's like, you know what? He's like, you're smarter than I thought. You know, I can't believe, he's like, I got to hand it to you. You are brilliant. You just used my money and my debts to give yourself a, a, a much better future. You are sly. You are smart. I got to hand it to you. And everybody's thinking, like, that, that's new. They're listening in like that. That's not how this is supposed to go. What, what, what did, what's the story you're telling us, Jesus? You know, be dishonest because it's going to work out for you? That doesn't sound like anything you've ever told us before. And Jesus begins to let them in on what he's telling them. He says, he begins to show them, them and us, how God sees every single dollar that ever comes your way. He says, this is how God sees every dollar that comes your way. Verse 9, he says this. Oh, actually, in the rest of verse 8, it says, It's true, he says, that the children of the world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. Like, that doesn't make any sense. He basically says to them that the people of this world, people who don't think there's anything after death, people who don't realize that there's anything, that there's eternity, they don't think, they don't think there's a God. He says, they're way smarter than you guys at this. They know how to, like, you know, hand an extra, you know, 50 bucks to the delivery guy so that your delivery comes quicker next time. You know, they know how to, you know, uh, call and give a Christmas present so they get a certain contract. They know how to use money to work things in their favor. He says, you guys, he says, the children of light, the people who believe that there's life after death, he says, you guys should be smarter than this. And here in verse 9, he says this, here's the lesson. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. He says, use your worldly resources. Worldly resources, the stuff that you have here. What do we use the stuff that we have here for? Two things. To benefit others and to make friends. To benefit others and make friends. And then he says this. Then 
when your possessions, when your worldly stuff is gone, when you die and you check out of here, he says those people will welcome you to what? An eternal home. He just flips the script again for them saying it's not all about here and what happens here. It's bigger than that. When you die, will there be people welcoming you into eternal homes because of what you did with what you had? Three things real quick. God sees money as a tool. You can write these down or you can listen to it again later. God looks at your money, your money, as a tool. You know, when we look at our lives and we say this question, when we work so hard and we invest, our question is, what will I have to show for it at the end? Like, what will I have to show for it when it's time for me to retire? Like, that's what I'm living for. And Jesus says, I want you to ask a different question. He says, I want you to ask the question, who will I have to show for it at the end? Who will be uh, in eternity because of what I did with what I had? And, you know, I'm not telling this because you guys got to level up on this. I'm actually uh, so uh, thrilled to be a part of a church community that understands this so well. There's people who realize that their money and their stuff is a tool. And it's not just money. You know, I'm, I'm ex- I, I, when we had to redo the basement and say, hey, listen, we've got, we've got a kids ministry that's helping our kids. You can hear them screaming down there out of sheer joy. You know, the kids that are getting a chance to, to experience who Jesus is for themselves, that they would learn that at a young age, that they would have a relationship with Jesus Christ and a faith of their own. For those of you who said, yes, I'll give money to that. I will, I will support that. Phenomenal. But there's many of you who realize it's more than that. For some, you've realized my stuff's a tool. Your car, you use it as a tool to bring people to uh, different places and serve others. You know, you use your pool as a place where baptisms can happen. You may, maybe it's you use your barbecue because you've got your neighbor over so you can just share, you know, just your, your uh, wealth with them, but also share, you know, good news with them. Or maybe it's your basement where you got the youth group all hanging out in your house or it's your TV where you're sitting around watching a, a right now media with, with your family or with others. Maybe you realize that it's, you know, the, the supporting different things are like our youth ministry leaders. They, they give everything so that our youth can have, you know, a relationship with the Lord. They sponsor Bibles. They pay for all the outings so that our kids would know who Christ is. And for some, it's discipleship. It's doing those things. But my challenge is find out how do we figure out how to use what we have as a tool to reach people. And the thing is not just give it all away. Because you need to have a car, so how do you use it for him? you got to have a house. How can I use that for him? What do I have? What do I have that I don't need and maybe I'm not using? Could I turn that into a tool that helps others? And that's what Jesus is saying, that he sees all of the stuff you have as a tool. How do you see it? God sees money not only as a tool, but as a test. The stuff that you have, it's a test. What are you going to do with it while you're here? Because it's not ours. We don't take it with us. So what are we doing in the time that we have that we have it in our hands. See, he says this, we've all been given a little bit. If I can, um, in, the, in the, um, the verse, it says this, um, verse 10, if you are faithful, if you're trustworthy in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. He says, but if you are dishonest or untrustworthy in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? If you're not faithful with other people's things, why would you be trusted with things of your own? What's he saying? He's saying, hey, all of you have been given a little bit of stuff. See, the thing is, we look at our little bit of stuff, and then we compare it to someone else's little bit of stuff. And we're like, hey, how come he got a lot bit of stuff? You know, I, yeah, I have a little bit, but that guy, he's got a lot. You know, are we looking to look at other people like in Haiti? How come we got so much and they got so little? You know what? God looks at it from 
from way far away, he looks at it, he's like, man, my, everything around me is gold. He looks at whatever you have, no matter how big or little. It's this tiny little stuff. It's this tiny little bit. And you have a very short amount of time. Even if you live to 100, you know, in Proverbs it said that our life's like a vapor. You know when you have tea and the little smoke comes up and it's gone? He says, that's what life's like. Man, it goes by so fast. So God's perspective, the way God sees things and thinks about your stuff, according to Jesus, this is what he thinks. You have a wee little bit of, you have a wee little bit of stuff and you've got a wee little bit of time to do something with it. Andy Stanley said this, how we manage what we assume is ours reflects our devotion to the one whom it really belongs. How we manage what we assume is ours reflects our devotion to the one whom it actually belongs. So what do we do with the stuff that we don't need or the stuff we don't use? I don't know if you have that. I went to my garage this week, and I'm like, I could barely walk through it. I was going to put a picture up there. i just too embarrassed. I have stuff in my garage that I don't need. I've got junk that I'm like, why can't I throw you away? You know, you're an old piece of flooring that I couldn't even use because I've used you as a cutting board. You know, I can't even replace a piece of flooring, but I I just got to keep it because maybe I'm going to need it. Maybe I'm going to need it someday. And as I thought about this, I realized I'm not the only one. And maybe I fill my garage, but I'm not, I'm not to the level of others. You know, and, and there, there's a major business in our, in our community. It's growing all the time. It's this idea of mini storage. Do you realize that people are renting facilities like this? And they're paying insurance. And they're paying someone else to store stuff they don't use and don't need. They can't use it. Why? Because it's in there. You know, and they store and store and store all this stuff. And they, and they keep it. Now we have TV shows. We got storage wars, you know, where people are buying up the stuff that people didn't need. And then you got storage wars, um, New York, and storage wars, Texas, of course. You know, everything's bigger in Texas. And then, but, but we're not exempt. There's storage wars, Canada now uh, as well, because average Canadians have this idea of we're just going to store all this stuff. You know, we're going to collect stuff, and, you know, we're going to insure stuff, and we, we love it, and we value it. And it's like, this is, this is my stuff, and someday I'm going to leave it to my kids. And, and then when you die and you leave your beautiful collection of stuff to your kids, what do they do? They sell it. That's right. And they just spend it. They, they didn't want that anyways. Because maybe that's what was coming between you and them all your life. And Jesus is saying, hey, how do you look at the stuff? Because here's what I look at. That's a tool. All that stuff that you got stored in a bin, it's just a tool. All that extra stuff in your garage, it's a tool. So Jesus talked a lot about the things we do here matter for eternity. They matter for eternity. And for some, there's two types of people here this morning. There's some of this really makes you uncomfortable. You're just like, oh, I just can't wait till it's over. They didn't, they, I know there's no offering, I just, but I just want to get out of here as quick as I can. And I'll come back after the money series is done. It's uncomfortable. I felt a little bit like that. But then there's another side where for some it's highly motivating because you begin to open your eyes and realize, yeah, this makes sense. That's why I have stuff, that I've got the opportunity to use what he's given me to actually see lives in eternity someday because of what I did with what I had. That I took wealth, worldly wealth, things that were in my hands to use, and I helped use use that so that others would know Jesus, that others' eternity would be spent with him. Verse 13, it's where we actually started this whole series. No one can serve two masters. He says, you're going to hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted. Your heart will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. Because God's chief competitor for our heart, for our whole heart, is money and stuff. It's always the thing that draws us away from being wholeheartedly about Him. When you, and here's the thing. When you begin to see money, your stuff, the way that God sees your stuff, you'll be able to serve him wholeheartedly because you know what it's for. So when he asks you and says, hey, I want you to do this with that. Well, no problem. I can do that. 
you know, I want you to begin picking up youth and driving them to Kingsway on Sunday mornings because they don't have a ride. Yeah, that's what my car is for. You know, I want you to begin hosting um, Bible studies at your house because you've got a great place and a big TV and no kids that are going to be kept up with all your laughing because you're having so much fun. No problem, God. That's what my house is for. But until we realize how he sees money, it has that ability to draw us away. And the last one, if we can get our ushers to, to just get prepared for communion, God sees money as not just as a tool, not just as a test, but as a trademark. Trademark and a stamp of ownership. You know, what you do, what you do with what you have signifies whose you are. What you do with what you have signifies who's your master. It really is so true. If we, if we live in the lie of we just got to get, 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 because it's all for me. I'm going to be happier because it's all for me. Shows who our master is. When we say, God, I just want to live with open hands, that whatever you put there, you get to use, and you get to, it gets to go to where you want it to go. It shows whose you are. In verse 14, our last verse, it says, The Pharisees, they're still there. They're still listening. Who dearly love their money. They heard all this stuff and they scoffed at, G- at Jesus. And when he said to them, You guys like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. He says, You know, we've, we're so good at talking ourselves out of being generous. You know, we have these things like saying, you know, well, you know, I really wish I could give more. Or I really wish, you know, I'd love to give it. Uh, oh, I gave it the office. Or whatever it is that you use to say, you know, I'd really like to help out. But, you know, I, 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 I'd really like to part with all that stuff in my garage. But I, I might need it. He says, you know, he says to the Pharisees, he says, you guys who are, you know, rich and love your money. You like to appear righteous. You want people to think that you've got this figured out. He says, but God knows your hearts. And that's where it brings us all to the same level playing field because it's the, 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 the truth of this is different for every one of us. I'm not here saying, hey, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. He just wants to know what's going on in your heart because here's the thing. He's calling us to be generous, but generosity has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with money. You know how we know that? Because you guys, have you ever met really rich, rich people that aren't generous? Just having a lot of money doesn't mean a person's going to be generous and that they're going to give and share that. Uh, just because somebody has extra doesn't mean that they're going to use it for others. And, and I've wrestled with this so many times. Because I look at my life and I see so much extra and I realize, you know, there's this, this chance to be generous. What hinders me from that? Do you know who's really generous? Generous people. They just are. You know, you know people. They, they got nothing and they're going to give you their stuff. You're know, like, wait, but you don't even, you, how can you do that? No, it's fine. Good. It's good. You know, I'll get, I only got two shirts. I, I'll give you one. Sure. You know, yeah, whatever it is, they're just so generous. You know, you've seen people with lots of money who are generous. And we've got people here like that. And it's phenomenal. Because generosity doesn't have to do with how much you have, but how you use what you have. And so as we close this part today, I think there's a part in, in this for each and every one of us. That for each and every one of us, we can grow a little bit in this area. And the, the thing is, the question is, what can I do now that will matter for eternity? We're not going to give you the opportunity to do something now. We're not going to pass an offering plate and say, here, here you go. You can, you can get that alleviate guilt if it's there, or you can just automatically respond, and, and you can do something now. I want that to sort of sit with you for a while, because as it sits with me, then Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, when I see and I have that, that thing, what can I do now? What can I do today that might bring someone into eternity? Here's our last thoughts. How will you see money in your life? Will you see it the way he does? Will you change the way you think to see it the way he sees it? Don't miss this part. Will you see it as a tool? How much of it will I use to help people 
How much of it will I use to maybe reach people for Christ? At the end of our lives, we're not going to regret being too generous. We're not going to sit there and go, oh, on our deathbed, saying, oh, man, I wish I'd finished the basement instead of giving that money away to my kids. Oh, I wish, I wish that I had bought that car instead of giving that money, you know, to my neighbor who was really in need. We just, we wouldn't have those regrets. He sees it, will we see it as a test? Will we think, how can I use everything that I have for eternal rewards rather than just for here? He's not saying give it all away. How can I use my car, God, for you? How can I use my house for you? How can I use the extra in my life for you? If you've seen the movie Schindler's List, I wouldn't recommend. I'm not saying, hey, go watch it. But, but you can YouTube this last clip, and it's pretty safe. But the, the story of Schindler's List, there's a man named Oscar Schindler who rescued thousands of Jews from the Holocaust. He spent his own earnings to make sure that they wouldn't die. And at the end of the movie, these thousands of people come to this one place to honor Oscar Schindler and to say thank you. And as he looks around, he sees real faces. I wish you could stand right here and look around this room right now to see real faces. And as, as they're there to honor him, they give him this gold ring. And he, he's so moved by it, he drops and he realizes, I just dropped gold. And he starts searching in the train tracks for this gold ring. And then when he finds it, something clicks in his mind. And all of a sudden he realizes, man, I was so much after this money, I just couldn't lose this money. And then he looks around, he sees his car. As he sees all the faces, he sees the car and he says, why did I keep that car? If I had just gotten rid of that car, sold that car, that would have been 10 more people here today. 10 lives could have been saved if I had gotten rid of that car. Then he sees this pin that he's wearing, this gold pin. He says, this is gold. He says, why did I keep this? He said, I could have, if I had sold this, I could have at least saved at least two more lives, two more people. As I thought about that, I thought, man, is that going to be me someday in heaven? Looking back and saying, why did I keep that stuff when I could have used it as a tool to see more people in eternity because of what I did with what I had? Powerful, powerful thought. And the last thing, will we see it as a trademark? Will we simply see that whose stuff it really is? It's all his. And how I manage it shows whose I am. Will I see money and my stuff the way my Heavenly Father sees it? So the question is this. What can I do now that will matter for eternity? That mismanaging stu- um, uh, manager, he knew. He said, I got a little bit of time. I got a little bit of stuff. What can I do that's going to matter for eternity? You and me, we each have a little bit of time. Oh, they're flashing lights. Time to quit. He says, you know, a um, little bit of time, a little bit of stuff. What do I do with what I'm here to manage? Would you answer that question this week? As I think about that, as we celebrate communion today, here's the thoughts that I think tie these, things to, these two things together. That God, our Heavenly Father, He modeled this for us. He showed what it was like, you know, to so love the world that He gave. That Jesus demonstrated that He gave us His sinless life, His perfect, His undeserving deserving of punishment life. He gave it on the cross for us. He gave all. Why? Because in the moment of His now, he did what needed to be done now so that we could be in eternity someday. He did what he could do then so that the future would be changed for us, that we'd be free of pain, sickness, even this thing called death, that he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. You're that joy. If you don't realize how much God loves you, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you, and the cross is proof of that. And just in case we might forget, he said, I want you to do a few things. He gave his disciples then these reminders and to us as well. He said he gave them bread, just normal bread. But he said, every time you take a bite of this, he says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me, that this was broken for you, that what I did on the cross was for you. Put your name there. 
This is for you, Penny. This is for you, Ian. This is for you, Fuzz. This is for you, Josh. This is for you. Would you take it in remembrance of him? Jesus, we thank you for going to the cross and enduring all the pain for us, for me. Thank you. Thank you for doing then so that we can experience now and forever. That's an incredible sacrifice. And he says he took a cup, and he says, you know that sin problem, that stuff you're always fighting? He says the, the, the real answer is that it's actually washed away by what I've done, that it is completely washed away. You are completely forgiven if you'll simply trust in him. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to try and be a better person. He says, you just simply have to trust me. And the benefit of it is relationship with God. And out of that relationship, he says, I'm going to change you. But he says, I've already done everything that needs to be done. I don't know about you, but I'm incredibly grateful for that this morning. So Jesus, thank you that your blood was enough, that your forgiveness is something we can live in every single day. So many people around us that are without hope. Help us to go out this week. Would you challenge us? Holy Spirit, would we hear your voice clearly? Just a question, what can I do now? What can I do now that could change eternity? Father, thank you for the amazing stories that we may hear on this planet, but that we'll definitely hear in eternity because of what we did with what you entrusted to us. Help us to be great managers of that this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen.